It's awesome. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here we are. Final departure is the title of the sermon. This today wraps up many months in the Timothys. We've, we're in 1 Timothy. We began that in November last year, and now we're finishing 2 Timothy today. And the book of 2 Timothy is the last book that the Apostle Paul wrote. The verses that we're covering are the last verses that he wrote in, in our Bibles. Um, and so with that in itself, it would maybe cause us to lean in and to listen a little more carefully. But with this, as Paul writes this, he is in his twilight years. He's been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ faithfully for 30 years now. Um, he's probably pretty weathered and war-torn. While he's writing this, he is in prison. And it's not just any prison. He's actually in a prison that is known to be more like a dungeon or a hole in the ground. The only access to the place where he was at at this moment was just a small hole that he was basically dropped in. This hole was the only place where light could come in and the only place where fresh air could come in. And so it made both visitation and sanitation almost impossible in this dungeon. And because he was charged with treason, he would have been pretty abused by his jailers, both mocked and abused. And what was even worse than that was his enemies saw his position in this prison as justification for his, his um, unexistent, non-existent God. They looked at his theology as bad theology. They pointed to the fact that he's in prison as a reason for sin in his life. And they mocked him with, with those kinds of things. And what is even worse than that is that at this time, as he's writing this letter, the church in which he has given his whole life to and preached the gospel for, the church is lukewarm at best, becoming a little bit cold and indifferent. They've been attacked by false teaching and there's heretics that have been moving into the church. And so Paul is writing this letter and he's writing this letter in those conditions and this is why he writes to Timothy because he is so well aware of the fact that there is danger there for Timothy. If Timothy does not pursue the calling with the intensity and the fervency that Paul has pursued it. As Paul has seen more and more people not stay faithful in the call, he inspires and challenges Timothy to not be one of those that falls away. And so he writes this letter to be a strong encouragement and a persevering word. Now, as we kind of get to this, I actually find this conclusion um, encouraging because we get to see what it's like for a man like Paul to finish the, the race well and to depart in a good way. Let's pray, and then we will look right here at our text. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the joy of being together in your word. We wouldn't want to be anywhere else than to be here with you with our Bibles open, we wouldn't want to be anywhere else than to be with our brothers and sisters looking to you and to your word and fellowshipping with the help of the Holy Spirit. We know that you've appointed this time to us, Father, as a means of, of grace, and so make your word come to life by your grace in our hearts. To your praise and to your glory, we pray in our Savior's name. Amen. 2 Timothy 4, 6 through 8 says, For I am being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. 
I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. How do you, how do you come to the end of your Christian life faithfully? This is an imperative question that every single one of us who takes our faith in Christ seriously will ask ourselves. What does it look like to endure and to finish, to finish well? And we, we will see just looking at this passage, there's five things that I'll point out. And, and the first one is in order to have a... a, a lasting, not just a lasting impact, but to end the Christian life well, it's important to have realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. If, if you look at this picture, um, and if you are honest with yourself, life is filled with relational conflict. I was even in, our, in the Expositor's Bible class this morning. One of, um, I think it was uh, Julia's daughter mentioned, just there's, there's, in, in workplace and in life, there's relational conflict. So true, there's relational conflict. And when you look at Paul here, you get to see some of that. Verse 10, um, actually, Paul, he tells us about the, this, this life. He talks about the finish line, how important it is, how he fought the good fight, how he's keeping the faith. And now that he's finished the race, this is the Apostle Paul. He's talking about finishing the race. And you would think that, well, it was just all rosy. But I came up with this image this week. And, and, and that's a picture of a guy that's crossing the finish line. And when I first saw that image, it, it kind of makes you laugh. Like, oh, how, how pathetic is that? The guy trips across the finish line. I mean, the first thing to hit the, the rope is his face. But then when I, when I look at this passage and I see, what Paul's talking about. This is ultimately what Paul is saying. I've, I've, I've given it my all, and it's the last thing I can do, but I'm going across that finish line, and it may not be pretty. Um, my, my life and my, the relationships that I've poured into, they may not all be perfect, they may not all be rosy, but I finished the race well. That, that idea there, the, the word picture of I have fought the good fight, that word actually means agony. What he's saying here is he goes, I have agonized the good agony. If you come into the Christian life expecting roses and, and butterflies and everything else and that all relationships are just going to get easy and they're just going to be fine, then you will be sadly disappointed and you probably will fall on your face short of the finish line. And in Paul's case, we've got some examples here. Um, he was deserted by Demas. He's deserted by Demas who, who was a friend, who was a co-laborer in Christ, but he falls in love with the world. And so he's deserted by Demas. And then you have Crescens and Titus and Tychicus. They're all doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing. They were actually out on the field. They're working. They're ministering faithfully at this point. But as many of the commentators pointed out, as they're out doing that, that means they're not with Paul. And they said that Paul, you see it in this passage and you see it in other places, that he might have been suffering with some loneliness and you can imagine that would be the case in his conditions that he was in. Now Luke is there, which is a, which is a good thing. And another good thing is that Mark was invited to come back. But in, the, in this passage, what we're seeing is Paul is, he's, he's a guy that's done more for the church than just about any single person. And yet he's facing people deserting him. He's facing opposition. He's facing some loneliness and maybe even some, some boredom. But what's also awesome in this passage is that we get to see that Mark, and this is interesting here, that Mark, he asks Timothy to bring Mark back with him when Timothy comes for a visit, hopefully soon before Paul is sent to his death. 
And so with this, he says, Mark, come with me. And what's interesting about that is that back in Acts chapter 15 and 16, early on, you have Mark and Paul, and they get in a disagreement, a philosophy of ministry difference. And basically, Paul says, "Eh, I want nothing to do with Mark. Mark's out of here. And he goes on his way. Well, now fast forward many years later as Paul is at the end of his life, um, and he's facing the desertion of Demas and the loneliness that might come from other people not with him. He says to Timothy, would you bring Mark with you? Because Mark will be useful to me. It's this picture of of joy and restoration. So even though you have the the difficulties of people deserting you, you have the joys of those that are faithfully serving as well as those that are being restored into, into relationship once again. But in all this, what we see is there's just some relational heartache that's going on for for the Apostle Paul as he's ministering in the last days of our life. And so, so if you and I, if we're going to finish the Christian life faithfully, we have to expect that there's going to be some, there's going to be some relational difficulties as well as other things. We have to have realistic expectations, and that's what we see going on in Paul. Secondly, what we see, to, to finish the Christian life well, we must be constantly learning, or you could say constantly growing. Constantly learning and constantly growing. When you come, he says to Timothy, Timothy, when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas. Also bring the books and above all, bring the parchments. And we don't know what those books are. We don't know what those parchments are. Those aren't things that we know. But man, it does kind of make your imagination run a little bit wild when you think about this. When Timothy comes, he's going to be bringing Mark. So in the same room, you're going to have Mark, you're going to have Paul, and you're going to have Luke. And these guys are all going to be in the same place with books and with parchments. Now just think about this for a minute. You have here in the same room half of the gospel writers. You have in the same room more than half of the authors of the New Testament. I could just imagine like, maybe it's just the geek in me, but just trying to imagine what that must have been like in that room, the conversation that they might have, might have had. But, but whatever those books were, whatever those parchments were, it's almost an absolute certainty that part of that is the scriptures. And what's super interesting about this is think about who is saying in his last days, he's at the end of his life, what is he asking for? He's asking for the books, he's asking for the parchments. And, and who is it that's asking this? This is the Apostle Paul. This is the guy who's inspired by God to write the scriptures. And he is the one asking for these things. So what does it teach us? What does that show? It shows us. It shows us that if Paul is feeling the need to continue to bury his nose in the book, then how much more should all of us be committed to burying our nose in our Bibles and giving ourselves to this? C.H. Spurgeon, um, great quote on this verse in one of his sermons, and this is what he said. He said, how rebuked we are by the apostle. The apostle Paul, he is inspired, and yet he wants books. He's been preaching for at least 30 years, and yet he wants books. Paul is seeing the Lord, and yet he wants books. He has a wider experience than most men and women, and yet... He wants books. He's been caught up into the third heavens and heard of things which is unlawful for man to utter, and yet he wants books. He's written 
the major part of the New Testament, and yet he wants books. The apostle says to Timothy, and so he says to every creature, give thyself unto reading. Brothers and sisters, what is true of ministers is true of all of us. You need to read. Renounce, he says, as much as you will of light literature. And I think if he was speaking in our context, he would say, renounce as much as you will of mindless YouTube watching, Netflix, Amazon binge, binging on the latest I won't say show, but whatever your show is. But instead, but instead, give yourself as much as possible to sound theological works. Give yourself as much as possible to the scriptures. We are quite persuaded that the very best way for any of us to spend our leisure is either by reading or by praying. You may get much instruction from books, which afterwards you may use as a true weapon in your Lord and Master's service. Paul cries, bring the books. Join the cry, he concludes. That's Spurgeon on this verse. So if you want to finish the Christian life well, we we see the importance of having realistic expectations to be constantly learning, and then maybe most importantly, to be Jesus-leaning to be leaning on the Savior. I apologize, this, the, the, the text is right, but it's not verse 13, it's verse 16 through 18 here. The Christian life is lived on the promise that Jesus is never going to leave us, nor is he ever going to forsake us. And this is essential to our finishing well, knowing and having our mind rooted in that very truth. Because there's gonna be a time that comes in every single one of our lives where there will be no one, some of you might be here right now, Even though you're sitting in a room full of people, you feel alone for whatever reason. You maybe haven't reached out to share the pain that you're feeling, or maybe you're just truly alone. And for you, like the Apostle Paul, the time will come where Jesus is all you have. And it's important here that what Paul says in this particular case, as he says, he has Jesus. And then in verse 16, he says, Um, what is known to be probably one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Verse 16 says, At my defense, no one came to stand by me. One of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. At my defense, no one came by to to stand, or no one came to stand by me. Now, what what is Paul talking about here? He He is sought out, and it was his goal. It was his goal to have to appeal his case in the highest court in the land, virtually to be before the supreme court of the Roman Empire, right under the nose of Nero's palace. This was his goal. He wanted to be able to proclaim the good news of Christ in the most sought after, the most powerful place, because that is where the message could most get, com- most get conveyed. And yet, when he got there, and when he got the opportunity to proclaim this message, this cry of the gospel in the highest court in the land. He stood there with no one's support. No one showed up. No one showed up to stand by him. So when we get to heaven, we are not going to be able to ask anybody, what was it like when Paul stood before the Roman court at the highest level? Because no one will be able to testify except for Christ and possibly 
any Gentiles that were there that came to know Christ through Paul's testimony. But a sad, a sad picture, and this is very true of the Christian life. There are certainly times where it feels like no one is standing by us. But humanly speaking, Paul was completely, he was just completely alone. And he was like his master Jesus, who was deserted by his disciples at the most important hour. And, uh, and yet, with that, Paul, Paul leans on Jesus and he tells Timothy, Timothy, I was completely alone. No one stood by me. But interesting, look what he says in verse 16. He says, may it not be charged against them. This is awesome. It's awesome because he's basically doing exactly what Jesus did. Father, forgive them is what he's saying. He's doing the same thing that Stephen did in Acts when Stephen said, Father, forgive them. It is martyring time. And Paul is doing the same thing here. He's basically saying, Father, forgive them. Even though they left me alone, forgive them. But in this case, all he had, all he had to do was, all he had to lean on was Jesus. And for him, Jesus was enough. And I ask you, is Jesus enough for you? If you want to finish this life well, having realistic expectations is a key component of that. Also, bearing your nose in the scriptures is an important part and leaning on Jesus. And then fourthly, fourthly, to be people appreciating. To be people appreciating. This is a tough one um, because, you see, the Christian life is one that's lived in the company of friendships, and not just any friendships, but certainly godly friendships, friendships that um, where people, when they speak to you, they speak to you with a great deal of, of counsel and wisdom. And, and so Paul, in, in all of his letters, you can't read one of Paul's letters and not see him at some point greeting people, thanking people, wishing people well. And another part of this, which is interesting, a small part of this letter, just aside, is that it shows that he also had a, um, a great relationship, especially with women. And a lot of times Paul gets uh, accused of being misogynistic, but this is one of those passages, if you notice, he mentions Prisca and Aquila. In Luke, it's always Priscilla and Aquila. The way that Luke uses that word Priscilla, that is uh, the less formal, almost diminutive term for the name Prisca. Prisca is the formal terminology. So Paul here uses her formal name to show a sense of a sense of respect and reverence. So here he does this, and then he says, "Greet Prisca, he greet Aquila, and the household of Onesiphorus and Eratos and Trophimus and Pudens and Eublis and Linus and Claudia and and the brethren." Paul simply loved people, and he appreciated them, and he let them know how important that was. He lived in the company of friends. And just simply put, if you're going to last in the Christian life, you have to find a way to do it with Christian friends. And it's very important. It's just, it doesn't happen outside of that. Another reason why we, we put the energy and emphasis into our growth groups, because we just don't finish the life well if we separate ourselves. Fifthly, Fifthly, you want to finish the Christian life well? Be grace-depending. Be grace-depending. Paul is grace-depending, and so ought we be the same. The, the life that we live in Christ is one that is in complete and utter dependence upon the goodness and the grace and the presence of the Lord. And so he, he gives this closing benediction, two parts. He says, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with your spirit, and then grace be to you. And we can read over these words and think, well, that's just Paul's natural way of just finishing a letter. It's just kind of a nicety. It's like kind of saying, you know, in love or sincerely. But it's not the case. 
what Paul is doing here in just these short lines is he's preaching the gospel. He is saying to Timothy what Timothy needs most, he needs the Lord's presence. And what Timothy needs most and what we need most is the Lord's presence and the Lord's grace. And so he says, grace be with you. And he concludes, grace be with you. Paul knows that Timothy needs the grace of God if he's going to finish this race. Grace that has led him safe this far and grace that will lead him home. So these are, these are Paul's last words to Timothy. And, and I know we've moved through this quickly for a reason I'm gonna share with you in just a moment. We moved through this pretty quickly, but these are components that are imperative for all of us. If, if we wanna live the Christian life well, we need to understand that if we expect things to be perfect, we are going to be sadly mistaken and we won't endure to the end because things aren't perfect. There's no promises that in this Christian life that things are gonna be perfect. If someone claims that, they're lying to you because Christ never claimed that. Also, the, just the importance of being learners and growers, that we, just, we don't ever arrive in this life. Our God cannot be put into a box, and he's not exhaustive. We will never stop learning and growing in him. Leaning upon Jesus, appreciating our brothers and sisters, and depending upon grace. Now, in, in, as far as the conclusion of this sermon, um, I've asked Garrett to come, and Garrett's going to share his testimony with us uh, this morning, and um, Garrett's one of those guys that um, I've gotten to know over the last year or so, and um, I'd encourage you to do the same. Um, he's, he's, anyway, I won't say anything more. I'll, I'll turn it over. Uh, you notice on your note page, I've put in there personal devotion um, questions. I'd encourage you to, if you don't have a regular devotional life, those questions are there to to kind of encourage that. But on question eight, it says something along the lines of what from Garrett's testimony um, is God teaching you? And I just, I just ask you, as he shares, um, see if there's anything that uh, the Lord is kind of pricking your heart with. I'll turn it over to you. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Way to put the pressure on me with that last bit. Thank you. My name is Garrett. Good morning. Um, to those of you who may not have met me, uh, Steve and Deidre Nother's son. Um, you try and find a different focus for this each time you do this. Um, I've, I've told my story a few times. Um, well, I'll just start at the beginning. So, uh, born again to Steve and Deidre Nother. Uh, great parents, raised in the church by... Two imperfect people, but absolutely doing the best they can, and um, no right to complain for the way I was raised. But uh, for some reason as a kid, I always felt like there was some kind of disconnect between me and the people around me. I had friends. I wouldn't say I was a total loner, um, but uh, kind of a loner amongst a lot of people who considered themselves my friends, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, and around 12, 13, 14, my kind of flavor for recreation was music, making it, playing it, listening to it, going to shows. That was my vibe. And with that, you take a kid who's got some depression and is into the whole music scene and that thing, uh, drugs, alcohol, that whole thing quickly became involved. Um, by the time I was 16, I've done a lot of drugs, so my memory is a little fried. 16, 17, was kicked out of the house uh, for very good reason. 
was never the one to steal from my family. C couldn't even uh, fathom that really, but parties at the house, um, being wasted in front of my sisters, my parents couldn't abide. Um, fast forward to late 18, early 19, by then I'm dealing pretty decent amounts of cocaine and full-blown heroin addict. Um, intravenous use, if I'm not using every hour, um, I'm in still to this day the worst pain I've ever experienced in my entire life. Um, my cocaine dealing eventually led me to dealing with a gang that eventually led to uh, me getting robbed, which eventually led to me in desperation uh, attempting to rob a business and not attempting very well and ending up in jail. Um, I served a lot less time than I probably should have. Um, as someone who's been on that side of uh, the justice system, I can tell you it isn't fair due to my family, uh, resources, and frankly, the color of my skin, I spent a lot less time than a lot of other people I saw for a first crime uh, that they had been charged with. So I get out, and um, for the next decade, I tried on various lives, various versions of success, various versions of satisfaction. Went back into heroin for a while, obviously that wasn't working, so I go to rehab, I get out, um, then decide, okay, well, I'll do the money thing. I'll do the successful, ended up working at an ad agency in Portland. Um, and strangely, after all that work, um, money apparently isn't the answer either, shockingly. Um, I would be literally on the phone with a client going over some six-figure ad campaign and eventually my own just bleak, depression over that not being the answer would lead me to on the phone with that client, off the phone in the bathroom shooting up heroin again. Um, so the last three years of my life have been finally um, just being brought to my absolute knees in desperation and humility in realizing what I actually needed in my life. Um, it pretty much took me to the point, I don't know if you guys have ever seen one of those guys, they're on the side of the road, they're either talking to themselves, or a radio that doesn't work, or uh, an imaginary friend. I didn't have much of that time, but uh, with my combined drug use, I was there for a couple days. Um, chasing around imaginary people with a knife, trying to defend myself, the whole vibe. Um, and it was at that point that I went back into a uh, Christian rehabilitation program. Not really looking for God, still, honestly. I was just looking for a place to go, and they were a place that would take me um, for free. And I think that now that I've got you guys kind of caught up on my history, for the most part, that kind of brings me to, I think, the things that I've learned, why I think Bill might have thought that what I had to share was relevant. Um, finishing the race. I think the real question for me when I think about finishing the race successfully is it's important to focus on what that race actually is. Um, I'm actually thankful for what I went through because I think without it, 
which also included a huge, obviously, leaving the church, leaving the faith, all that kind of stuff. But I think without that, um, my view of what the race is might be a little bit different um, than what I've come to think of it as. Um, I think I might have come into adulthood thinking that Christianity is my team, and it's important for me to go through my life making sure that the human enemies or opponents uh, of my team, the sinners out there, um, the people who refuse to agree with me, that that is the enemy. Um, but I've realized through my own behavior and my own history that any evil I perceive in someone else is just right there waiting to be pulled up out of my own heart and out of my own actions. For real, you have no idea. It's so true with me. Um, it just casts such a new light on um, scriptures that we so immediately, we hear them all the time to the point of cliche. Um, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil. Um, The people that I see every day, and it's funny how quickly, even with my own history, I become tempted to see somebody and write them off as not worth my time, as not worth my compassion, as not worth my empathy. I had a needle in my arm in December of 2016, and even now I'll see somebody, and the temptation will be to judge, to write off the guy who's asking for $5 to think that I know better than Christ in what he told me to do. This guy is probably going to use it for something that's irresponsible, so it's not worth my time. It's not worth my trouble. Um, Christ didn't really give me much of an option in those situations. I say I follow a God who fed thousands with a few fish and some bread. I have enough money if someone asks for money, and it's not my place to argue. Um, and that, to me, is the, the long agony, the long fight that Bill was, um, well, Paul was talking about, that Bill was talking about, that Paul was talking about. Um, There's this thing that I've started to notice when I talk to people. When I'm leaning on and when I'm inviting the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, into my life and into the way that I act with people. And it's this almost shocked reaction that you could have an endless supply of love and an endless supply of lack of judgment for what's going on in people's lives. Uh, just really quickly, the story that came to mind this morning, when I was thinking about this, and I haven't thought about this story in about a year, so I'm figuring it came to mind for a reason. Um, when I was at this rehab, uh, in this ministry, we had any number of fundraising and outreach efforts and all kinds of stuff to to support the thing. And I was out one day, and I was helping a guy just shovel piles of that kind of like moldy bark compost. I don't know if you guys have that up here, but we got all over the place in Southern California for gardening. Um, And he started talking to me, but he kept throwing these weird little details about his son in the story. Um, He's like, oh, so you you did some 
he did some drugs, huh? Well, my, you know, my son did a little bit of drugs too. And I, I thought at the beginning it was just, you know, maybe a guy asking for some advice because I get that pretty often. But what I started to realize was he was feeding me small pieces of his son's story and waiting to see just the smallest hints of judgment so that he could immediately recoil and not tell the story that he's gotten very used to not telling anybody. Um, By the time he was done, um, he had told me the story of his son that he loved so much who had somehow gotten into uh, methamphetamine and one night had been, um, while completely high, had been in the house while a murder had happened and had helped hide the body while being frightened and was now doing time in prison Um, as an accomplice. And to be able to look at him and have him not detect even a moment of condescension, of looking down on his son, but instead to say, well, that particular thing never happened to me. I I could never say I did that. I very easily could have. And... I don't know how to describe it, which makes it hard to describe, but uh, in that moment, I saw a guy who had probably spent the last decade of his life locked in shame, guilt, not even knowing if he's free to uh, be able to love his son through this whole deal, to see this whole burden lift off of him in about four seconds. Uh, it wasn't, I didn't get down on my knees and lead him to Christ. The clouds did not part, a, you know, a dove did not fall. But the reaction on his face was literally, I thought he was going to have an aneurysm for a second. It was just like this, who is, who is this? Where, where are you from? What do you do? It was like I came from a different planet. And... For him to know what it is in me that allows me to react in those situations differently than, I guess, anyone he'd met before, that is the gift of God. Um, And it's something, obviously, you guys heard what I did with the first 30 years of my life. It's not something that I can take credit for. Um, And I think that the only way that we're going to be effective in impacting the world in the way that we're supposed to is by having something that the world wants so badly that can only be explained supernaturally. Um, And that is an endless supply of love and giving our little piece of heaven on earth, I guess, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm Garrett. Nice to meet you guys. If I haven't met you. And... um, while the worship team comes up, Bill asked that I would pray. So, dear Lord, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for this opportunity to speak to uh, all of these uh, beautiful sons and daughters of yours. And uh, I don't know. I just pray that we just continue to reflect on uh, being exactly who you made us to be and reaching uh, others in the way that you showed us. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.